On this week's episode of the Pete Primo Show, we'll be talking about price increases and supply disruptions with Justin Trumbo, president of BetTech Midwest. The Pete Primo Show is brought to you by my book, Sell a Million, 101 Tips for Furniture and Mattress Store Owners to Sell Another Million Dollars in a Year. Justin Trumbo is the owner of, uh, of, of uh, BedTech Midwest, and Justin is my boss at BedTech. So that's kind of how we got together. Justin has a very interesting story. He started as an RSA on the floor in Portland, Oregon. He became a store manager, and then he owned his own store back in back home at Sweet Dreams uh, Mattress in Champaign, Illinois. And not only has he been in retail for other people and then for himself, but then he started his distribution business and it started with a very small warehouse. And now it's over a hundred thousand square foot facility with over $2 million of inventory. And he is here today to discuss the supply disruptions and the price increases that we're experiencing and what you can do as a store owner to be successful right now. Thanks, Justin, for joining us today. Hey, Pete, thanks for having me on. So we all thought we were going out of business during the six to eight weeks we were shut down for COVID. And then we opened back up and there was literally a gold rush of business that nobody anticipated. Um, can you talk about what happened uh, post-COVID with the demand increasing and capacity? capacity uh, decrease in? Sure. I mean, so, you know, COVID kind of hit us all uh, like a ton of bricks. Um, the whole country shuts down every industry, every sector. Uh, I would say the shutdown for our industry as an average lasted about six weeks. And during those six weeks, um, importers like myself, we stopped buying product. Uh, manufacturers of inner springs, of course, stopped bending coils. Um, pretty much uh, anything that had to do with the production side completely shut down. What we started to see was you know, decreases of supply. Well, of course, everything comes back on like a rocket ship. Um, and sales, of course, across the board, I think all retailers were saying were stronger than anybody expected. And I think what nobody in the United States really priced in was how much money Americans spent in travel and leisure. And so what I think we saw happen here was the travel and leisure dollars just rotated into retail and none of the suppliers were ready for it. And so I think most retailers out there, they've already seen it. Um, you're starting to see you know, delays in product. You're starting to see uh, inner spring allocations and foam allocations that are leading from two-week delays to go up to six-week delays that are now up to eight-week delays, and you're starting to see price increases, Pete. Yeah, the it was shocking how much business we actually did in a very short period of time, and I think it caught everybody by surprise, and you still had workers in factories that were on unemployment, basically, and uh, they didn't want to come back. You know, I've heard all kinds of horror stories from on the supply side, from our foamers to our 
non-woven guys to, to our spring guys that they just couldn't get people to come back to work. Uh, so that's right, and on top of the it. Go ahead. Right. On top of the furloughs, sorry. And on top of the furloughs, I don't think, and I yeah. learned this even being a supplier that the same fabric that was used in the medical gowns and masks is the same fabric that's used to wrap a pocketed coil. And so when you saw a lot of these states put in these yeah. mask mandates and the yeah. COVID crisis kind of kick off, you know, you had the supply side issue there. Then of course, now you have the yeah. floods that uh, came on from the hurricanes in places like Louisiana and down South. And a lot of the TDI yeah. production plants were there. And so now you're seeing TDI shortages where people can't get enough of the raw materials to harden the foams. And yeah. so of course, um, we, we've talked about this before in the past, it's basic economics, right? Supply and demand when supply outpaces demand, uh, prices fall. And when demand outplaces supply, prices rise. And we're seeing a yeah. clear case of just supply and demand where demand is just clearly outpacing the American ability to produce mattresses at this time. Yeah. And when the demand is that high and the quantities are that low, it just makes prices skyrocket. It's uh, econ 101. Right, right. And then, um, you know, and then you have the whole import side of it. Um, you know, people like myself, um, we, we have lead times, of course, 90 to 120 days to get product in. So even if right. we don't have the same capacity issues, we still have the delays. And so that three, four months that we just went through with these record sales, no importers can just snap their fingers and magically fill their warehouses back up as much as we'd like to. Can, can you talk about the first round of tariffs and, and then the second round of tariffs? And, and guys, can you pull up the whack-a-mole slide? Because that's what it reminds me of. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, that's interesting. I mean, that started back in 2016-17. Uh, uh, we had the first 25% uh, tariff that the administration, that's a whole other podcast, whether or not you agree with that kind of stuff. Um, put on to China at the time. And then Leggett and Platt, Temper, a lot of the big guys, they did their uh, anti-dumping on China. And at the time, COVID wasn't going on. So of course, the whack-a-mole game was easy, right? US government comes in with the mallet, smacks China on the head. Uh, everybody just runs. They go to Vietnam, Serbia, Turkey. Uh, they're just able to quickly move equipment, reset up capacity, get visas for these foreign countries, and they're able to quickly move. Well, you look today, what's happening, of course, COVID's going on. And now we're about to have the second round of anti-dumping. And that actually covers that broad stroke of places, right? And yep. so now I think it's October 31st. You probably have the stat in front of you that the yep, same list of places that I just get. Yeah, Turkey, Cambodia, those same list of places are now going to have an anti-dumping where mattresses aren't able to be imported from there. Um, plus, you know, plus you can Indonesia, say, yeah. plus Malaysia, plus Serbia, plus Thailand, plus Turkey. Right. And, and you can say whatever you want uh, about imports. Um, that's a whole other podcast that you can do. I think everybody can agree on two things. Uh, imports, they keep prices low and they add to supply, right? And so could you think of the last four months 
uh, business if people like myself and other importers wouldn't have had mattresses to fill the void. So what's going to happen here at the end of October is 14 million mattresses a year are going to come out of the U.S. market, at least temporarily. And right. now, within, that's where you get the whole whack-a-mole thing, Pete, is uh, yeah. these countries that they're moving to, it's going to be harder this time. Let's say you want to move a factory from uh, Turkey to Laos. Well, you still have to move the equipment. You still have to get the visas. You still have to get your workers in. Well, with COVID, a lot of countries aren't letting people get these visas. And so these factories are taking longer to set up than they did the first time. And are going to cost a lot more to set up, frankly. And you're seeing a lot of people even just pivot to the U.S., trying to get away from the fact of this constant whack-a-mole game that we're talking about. But, you know, if we're already seeing supply shortages on the U.S. side, and then we have 14 million mattresses a year come out from the import side, my question is, who in the U.S. has the capacity to make those extra 14 million mattresses a year, Pete? Yeah. And I certainly have no answers for you there. Um, let me ask you a question. Well, before I ask you the question, I, I just want to make this statement. There was literally millions of dollars of retail sales that were made because of inventory that importers had at the beginning of COVID. Without that inventory, literally millions of dollars of sales would have been lost. But here's my question. Um, to you, do you think the supply chain and price increases will get worse before they get better? Well, they, they, well, they almost have to, especially if demand stays the way it is, right? Until people feel comfortable traveling again, or until there's some kind of vaccine where you see home dollars go back into travel and leisure, uh, I don't see anything that stops it at least for the next six to nine months until people find ways to put um, bandwidth back into their capacity. Um, yeah. We're going to keep seeing the issues. And then again, when the importer's inventory dries up, um, that's going to put even more stress. So I, I think it's going to be at least another six to nine months. Um, past that, we'll just kind of see what happens. One of the things that I noticed, you actually brought this up to me uh, a few days ago. The uh, latex and natural space was largely unscathed. Why? Well, their, their components weren't affected, right? When you look at the floods in uh, the down south states, that mainly affected TDI. And TDI yeah. is used in 95% of foams. So obviously, yeah. TDI is not going to be used in a natural product like a latex. And most of the natural carriers don't use inner springs. So you've actually seen a lot of the natural luxury guys gain a lot of share right now. Your guest you had on last week, Jeff, I know does really well with some products in that space. And um, yeah, the, the people, the smart retailers are deciding right now which partners they can live with and which partners they can live without. And the ones they can live with, you're seeing them ramp up stock. And the ones they can live without, you're seeing them go to partners that um, have the inventory to service their business needs. We're a very uh, table-to-mouth right. industry, and we're used to ordering on Sunday and having it on Friday. So ordering on yeah. Sunday and getting it eight weeks from now is definitely something we're not used to. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Justin, put your consultant hat on 
And uh, guys, can you pull the Jiffy Lube store up? When you uh, look at this slide, what do you see and, and what does it mean to our store owners? Yeah, um, it's funny. I, I get store owners out there and it's always the guy across the street's got a bigger advertising budget. Um, you know, if I only had more money, I could, you know, do this campaign that would grow my business. And then I always ask them, like, well, what's wrong with your business? Oh, I sat here and I only saw two customers all day, which I mean, I guess this is more of an old story than a current story, right? Today, it's, you know, people are just trying to keep up with the demand. So I guess this is more when, um, things aren't the way they are today. But um, the point of the slide more is just you know, the ability inside your business to take that level of extreme ownership. And you know, when I used to have my store, I would literally, when things were slow, we had one of those mattress sales signs, You know, the guy that you pay $10 an hour to go wave the sign on the side of the road. We've all used them if you've had a retail store. Yeah. Well, if you're a small owner, you know, it's 10 bucks an hour, 10 hours a day, why not get out and hold the sign yourself? You know, I used to hold yeah. the sign on the side of the road, follow the customer into my store, set the sign on the side of the store, go inside the store and then sell the customer, shake their hand, send them back out, go back out to the side of the road. And so I always ask my clients, what have you done today to put that customer in? That's a true guerrilla tactic and uh, guerrilla taxes just don't cost money, Pete. Can you guys pull up slide four? Because this ties right into what Justin um, is talking about. There's your guy. Oh, Jocko. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Jocko Willick. Um, he he uh, uh, wrote a great book called Extreme Ownership. He was the uh, platoon leader. Um, for American Sniper. A lot of you guys have seen the movie. And he just talks about taking those marine tactics into your business and that level of uh, ownership that every entrepreneur really should take. And a lot of the times you'll see people look to point the finger, but you were part of that situation. So what he talks about is what could you have done differently in your business to take that level of ownership to uh, affect change in your business versus blaming others. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, let's we're gonna take a little bit of a commercial break because Sell a Million uh, is sponsoring our podcast. And so I'm going to read chapter 59, which is a very short chapter. And then, Justin, I want to get your take on this. So it's called Surprise and Delight Your Customers. Any day, at any time, you have the power to surprise and delight a customer. Remember to do it and do it often. Get a reputation for giving something away, a product or a discount when you don't have to. It's cheap marketing. It doesn't have to be a product or, or, uh, or a discount. It, it could be uh, Jeff and Ben's delivery guys at Gardner's delivering uh, a cake pop on delivery something extra that the customer doesn't know they're going to get. Your customer will have his day pleasantly surprised. He will tell a bunch of his friends. You will have increased your bond with him and all of this will generate additional sales. Your ability to do this is only limited to your imagination. For years I have taught and at times begged my retailers to call customers after their delivery to make sure they are happy 
with their purchase and the service they have received. A simple phone call goes a long way. Remember, it's all about making your customers feel appreciated and valued. Customers who feel appreciated by, again, give five-star consumer site reviews, give testimonials, and gladly give referrals. Please do not be limited. Please do not be limited by my simple example. Get creative and uncover more ways to surprise and delight your customers. Have fun with it. Well, I think you really just touched on the power of why. I mean, you know, you see a lot of retailers and they still think we're in the put a rectangle on a screen and put a price on a rectangle. When people buy stories, uh, Jeff does a great job of attaching himself to the community, attaching himself to causes in the community, um, giving the local person a reason to pick you over the big box store. And I think you just touched on it. If you can do something different and dare to be different and um, be noticeable and rememberable inside of your business, uh, you're going to excel over the guy down the street that um, is just treating people like a transaction. I'm a fond, I'm fond of saying to my customers, find out where you're strong and your competition is weak and take them to the mat all day, every day. Where are you strong or where can you be strong and where are they weak and take them downtown? It's a little. Yeah, it makes, makes a lot of sense. Uns yeah. Unsophisticated, but hey, that's me. So again, asking you to put your consultant hat on because you're not just the president of BedTech Midwest. You actually do, uh, you know, you have a consultant practice that you talk to lots of retailers and help them grow their business. And more importantly, you help them be more profitable. If you're putting your consultant hat on, you know, what would you... Uh, say to a store to help them uh, compete in today's new world? I mean, things are different today than they were before. Some things don't never change and some things are the same. But uh, if you guys can pull up slide number five. Yeah, I think what you're talking about here, Pete, is the uh, today the uh, your front door is no longer the front of your store. The front of your store is now the front of your website. Um, it's very interesting that 80% uh, of consumers hit your website before they ever hit your front door. And so you see all these store owners today, they'll still put a $20,000 uh, LED sign up. They'll spend, you know, five, $10,000 on window clings and dressing up the front of their store. And then you go to their Google listing and they don't even have a website. And so it's just so backwards today for where the eyeballs are, for where you actually receive information. Uh, I was on a trip, a nationwide conference. You got probably a lot of your dealers are nationwide dealers. And we were down in Florida. This was four years ago. And there was a guy by the name of Harry, he has a firm out of Chicago. He was given a conference. And at the time, you know, I think that me and my clients were so far ahead of the eight ball. And he had this uh, presentation that he did. Uh, are you marketing where the consumer's eyeballs are, right? And I'm like, yes, this is going to be great. It's going to prove my point. And it showed the traditional furniture marketing mix. And as you know, the furniture marketing mix is, you know, 
uh, television, 25% radio, 25% print, and there's like this little sliver, like 5% for uh, digital. And, you know, at the time, my clients were at like 18% for digital. So I'm like, yes, look at all the, how good I do. And then he takes this slide and he overlaps it and he shows that 80% of information is received via digital. And then of that 80%, 75% is received via mobile devices. And so right there was almost like a trigger point for me that it's like, oh my gosh, brands are going to be built on people's mobile phones over the next four to five to 20 years. And of course, we're seeing the just BIB guys just pop up everywhere is their ability to get into that mobile device. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, better late than never, guys. Um, go ahead and pull up slide uh, number eight, guys. Merchandising and display who you want to be. That was your recommendation number two. Yeah, I always uh, tell people, and that's probably where the slide comes from, if you build it, they will come, right? Um, how you merchandise your store is who you are. You know, I go into a lot of these retailers and what I see is just so much duplication of SKUs. Um, you, you walk in and there's five choices at $6.99, five choices at $7.99. And so you go in the store and if you're a customer, you think, wow, beds are between $300 and $9.99 and I got 40 choices below $9.99. And then you talk to that same retailer, it's like, I can never sell anything above $1,000. It's like, well, you don't have anything on your floor above $1,000. It's the old rule. If you don't show it, you can't sell it, right, Pete? And so, you know, you think of these car guys, they do a great job of having a broad assortment of vehicles and a broad assortment of price points to appease to every customer. And somehow in our industry, we don't make that transition. And so I think people need to realize that having a clear linear step up that goes from low to high, that offers a segment of each of the specialty categories that our industry has to offer is very important. And again, I think your last week's uh, guest would probably be able to give better advice than me in that area. Uh, Jeff's done a great job with that on his floor and uh, people like him are going to keep uh, thriving as specialty retailers versus commodity retailers uh, as the uh, industry grows to uh, the BIB guys taking more of $9.99 or below and uh, that meat and potatoes above still being available. Yep. Yep. So. I had a dealer, he had four vendors. Every vendor had a triple choice at $4.99. Every vendor had a choice, triple choice at $5.99. Same thing at $6.99. Couldn't un begin to understand why he was selling more product above $1,000. Now, he barely offered any product above $1,000. And when you overlap product, you create confusion in the customer and that confusion uh, with the customer is why customers walk out of stores without buying. If, if it's not clear uh, what the differences are. And one of the things that, that we talk about a lot is, you know, what is the differenti differentiation 
and feel, look, profile, story between one bed and another, what's the reason the customer should spend $100 more instead of- Well, I mean, to give you, take it even a step further than that, Pete. Well, yeah, take it a step further than that. I mean, if you've got a bed on your floor that's $699 and a bed on your floor that's $1699, and the only answer you can give the customer is it's $1,000 more, you're never going to get that $1,000. So the industry is all about uh, showing value, understanding why the customer is going to step up throughout your floor, but then also offering a product selection that gives the customer the ability to step up. So that's where the, if they build it, uh, it'll, they'll come, comes from. Yep. So can you guys pull up the, uh, slide number nine? Watch your slippage, control your fixed costs. Yeah, I- Yeah, no, it's it's funny, Pete. Uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm sorry. I think we're just having a little technical difficulties, but um, no worries. The uh, the the slippage. I mean, that's in every business, right? If you owned a grocery store, um, you have to worry about slippage and the fact of employee theft and spoilage. If you're in the you know stock market, your slippage is uh, between ask bids or. Uh, brokers commissions, right? When you get into our industry, a lot of the slippage really comes from pure just owner execution. Um, you know, we make decisions inside of our business trying to chase top line revenue. And so the question I always ask people, would you rather have a $100,000 a month store that loses you five grand or a $50,000 a month store that makes you 10,000? I mean, in the end, you open a business to make money to take care of your family. And so, so many people are top down approach to their accounting versus bottom up approach. Like if I have a thousand dollars and I'm going to go spend it on advertising today, is that thousand dollars going to generate me at least $10,000, that 10X, where I'm actually seeing ROI on that investment? Because if not, I'm probably better off as a small owner just to keep the thousand dollars in my pocket. Because if I'm at a five percent net, I had to sell twenty thousand dollars to make that thousand dollars, right? And so, I think people get so focused on trying to chase these big guys and these hedge funds and these people that are just willing to burn hundreds of millions of dollars a year for cost of consumer acquisition. And as a small owner, you're better off um, daring to be different, like your book referenced, and coming up with Uh, things you can do to be rememberable and get reviews and you're better off uh, focusing on growing your business that way than just pouring money into things that aren't going to give you return. Well, those three that you went over was actually more than three. Uh, Be where the eyeballs are, merchandising and display who you want to be and watch your slippage is great advice for any retailer, big or small. I, I just, I want to thank you for coming in and really, you know, you're sharing information that you share with private clients that they pay thousands and thousands of dollars with, and you just gave it to our guys for free. So I appreciate you coming in and uh, talking to us and really kind of going into depth on, you know, why we're experiencing these price increases, why we're experiencing these delivery delays. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we talked about earlier before we close this out was, you know, it's easy for you to say, or for me to say, you know, 
inventory is king, just buy a lot of inventory, right? And sometimes it's not right, the right, right advice to a small retailer who's not cash rich. That would be bad advice uh, to somebody who's got, you know, to a, a store owner who has tons and tons of extra money in, in the bank. That's fine. Buy as much inventory as you can get your hands on. So one of the things that I think you're always talking about, and, and we've worked a few markets together, and I always hear you want our retailers to, to be smart and to use our inventory. And one of the things that I wanted to publicly compliment you on, of all my vendors, Justin, you are absolutely the best performing vendor of all of them. You have made more deliveries than any other, than all my other vendors combined. And so I want to thank you for number one, hiring Henry, who is a diamond trusted yes. unicorn. Yes. I love him. My customers love him. He's the best. And I always say, and it sounds brutal when I say it, because sometimes I have owners and, and they're telling me their problems. And I just look at them, not so sympathetically, and say, well, you know, we attract what we are. And I think with right. Henry, you attracted what you are. So I just want to- Well, yeah, you. I mean, I th thank you. Well, thanks for giving the credit where it's due. It's a testament to Henry, but it's also a testament to what we talked about. It's a testament to what we talked about at the very beginning of the show. And um, that, again, importers and domestics, we're just going to have different problems along the way. And we look forward to being in stock and keep quick shipping our customers and just doing what we can to support the industry. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Justin. And to everybody out there, our show isn't just available by video. It's also available on all your pod podcast platforms. That's a mouthful. I don't know why I couldn't say that. Um, so look for the Pete Primo show in any of your favorite, whether it's Spotify or Google podcast, whatever your favorite platform is, we are going to be there. If you want to listen to us while you're driving to the gym or at the gym, uh, go ahead and do that. And again, thanks a million for coming on. Justin, I appreciate everything you do, not only for me and my family and my dealers, but what you do for the industry. You're, uh, you're a shining star. And I wasn't going to say this, but I am going to say it. And I didn't tell you I was going to say this. So I have never met a more accomplished young man at 35 years old than you. You are amazing. Yeah, thanks, that, Pete. It's uh, humbling. <laughs> it's humbling to that, have the call from you. I appreciate it. And with that, I am saying goodbye and thank you very much.